Okay, take your Bibles this morning and turn to Matthew 12. We're going to start there. Now, our text is Matthew 16. Matthew 12, I think, will help us to, to get a sense of this here a little bit. You'll see why as we get into our reading. So Matthew and chapter number 12 and verse number 38, and then be ready to turn over uh, quickly to Matthew chapter number 16, and we'll see a related passage to that. We're in a study here in the Gospel of Matthew. And Matthew is presenting the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the king. But not everybody believed that. In fact, we're at a very uh, transitional point in our study of Matthew and the hostility, the resistance toward the Lord Jesus is only escalating by the time we get to Matthew number 16. But I want you to see a little bit of it in chapter 12. And so look at verse number 38. So again, Matthew 12 and verse 38, it says, Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. We want to see a sign. Uh, excuse me, like he hadn't already been giving all kinds of signs. The, the deaf hearing, the lame walking, the blind seeing. I mean, really, what more do you want? But they said, we, we want a sign. Like under the false impression that like if you, if you do something spectacular, we'll believe. Well, he's raised the dead. How much more spectacular do you want to get than that, right? But he answered and said unto them, an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. And he explains here, he says in verse 40, for as Jonas was three days and three nights in the well's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He's talking there about the fact he's going to be crucified and buried, and for three days and three nights be in the grave, in the tomb. And then he goes on about the men of Nineveh, to whom, you know, Jonah preached, they shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonas, and behold, a greater than Jonas is here. All right, and then he talks about the Queen of Sheba and a greater than Solomon was here. And obviously he's talking about himself. And then the, the account goes on. He gives an illustration about a man that, keeps, that cleaned his house really well and then left and left it empty. And then anyways, uh, we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit for the sake of time. We're not going to read it right now. Okay, chapter 16, if you would please. Chapter 16, keep that in your mind that these scribes and Pharisees came and said, hey, listen, we'll believe if you'll show us a sign. And here they go again. Same thing. He says nearly the same thing to them. Let's read about it now in Matthew 16 and verse number one. The Pharisees also with the Sadducees came. So now we've got a new group involved in this, but the Pharisees also with the Sadducees came and tempting desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said unto them, When it is evening, ye say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today. Better watch out, storm alert. <laughs> Forewarn, right? Storm warning right here. Uh, the sky is red and lowering. Oh, ye hypocrites, says Jesus. Oh, ye hypocrites. Ye can discern the face of the sky, 
but ye, but cannot ye discern the signs of the times? A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given unto it, but the sign of what? The prophet Jonas. Okay. And he left, notice these sad words right here, okay? And he left them and departed. He's going to finish up his Galilean ministry now and moving on. Look at verse number five. And when his disciples were come to the other side, so they went back across the Sea of Galilee, back to the east side, they had forgotten to take bread. They forgot lunch. You ever leave your to-go box at the restaurant? That's a sad rest of the day, isn't it? When you get home, you think, ah! <sighs> then said Jesus unto them, verse number six, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And they reason among themselves. Can you hear them talking? Uh, okay, don't buy from the Pharisees and Sadducees. Don't buy bread from them. Or what, What's he saying? Ah, it's because we have taken no bread. All right, verse eight. Which when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves because we have brought no bread? Do ye not yet understand? Neither remember ye the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets ye took up, neither the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many baskets ye took up? <laughs> how is it that ye do not understand that I spake it not to you concerning bread or food, concerning bread, that ye should beware, but, I'm sorry, that ye should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. Then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the what? Doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. Now, I want to call your attention to this. He says that you would be aware of the doctrine singular of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It's not the doctrines of those two opposing groups. It's the doctrine, the teaching. Doctrine means teaching, which has to do with your thinking, your thoughts. Beware, beware. Now, who did he say this to? He said this to his disciples. If you're one of his followers, you're one of his disciples. Is he saying that to you today as well? Beware of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And so may God help us here today to understand what he's talking about. Lest we think about lunch. I'm going to trust that God will bless his word as you're seated. Let's get to it here today. The title of the message is this. Seeing is not always believing. Seeing is not always believing. You know, we use that terminology. Seeing is believing. Well, here it is. Seeing, evidently, seeing is not always believing. Seeing is not always believing. The permeating influence of hard-hearted unbelief, the permeating. Let's, let's think about that here in just a moment. You know, as we've, uh, we've come in this part of the study, 
Matthew chapter 15, Matthew chapter 16. They're obviously working together, even though we have the chapter division. We have a reoccurring theme of food uh, that spans between the two chapters. If you remember, the chapter began with the Pharisees saying, uh, Lord, your disciples, they don't wash their hands before they eat bread. And they were concerned not about hygienic practices, but they were concerned about contamination from the Gentiles. And Jesus made it very clear to them that, look, it's not what goes into a man that defiles a man, but rather it's what comes out of a, of a man's heart because a man is a sinner at his, at his very heart. We're all sinners. Does everybody understand that? We're all sinners. We're all dealing with this old flesh, this sin, and we all uh, need to be born again. And if you trust Jesus as your Savior, that's how you are born into God's family. And so they were concerned, though. The Pharisees were. They were concerned, super ultra conservatives. They were concerned about contamination from non-Jews. Jesus makes his point that it's not contact with the Gentiles that contaminates man. He makes his point by going way deep into Gentile territory where he's approached by a Gentile woman of Tyre and Sidon, that area at least, and she wants him to heal her daughter who is demon-possessed. And Jesus says it's not right to take the fruit, it's not right to take the bread that belongs to the children of the table, talking about the Jews. It's not right to take their bread and feed it to the dogs. He's talking about not the scavenger dogs that are out there on the street, but the, the dogs that are in the house, the little house pets. And she very humbly says to him, yea, Lord, but the, the dogs eat of the crumbs that, just fall, that fall from the master's table. She, she's basically saying this, I realize I don't deserve to be at that table. I'm not a Jew, but I sure would like, in fact, that she's on her knees, by the way, before him. And she's saying, Lord, if you just give me a crumb, that's all that I need. I know I don't deserve to be at the table, but I just, I just need a crumb. And Jesus says, oh woman, great is thy faith. And he healed this woman's daughter without ever going to her house because he's of that great power. Okay, so there is a Gentile woman's daughter who was delivered from this demonic being. Then he goes on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. If you remember, that's where we were last week. He goes on that east side of the Sea of Galilee, and there he's among more Gentiles, predominantly Gentile. He was on the west side where he fed the 5,000 men, plus the women and children, so probably, probably upwards of 10,000 people. On the west side, predominantly a Jewish population. He goes over there on the east side and predominantly among the Gentiles. Now, if you remember, uh, he, I, meant, I meant to mention this last week and I failed to, but I'm remembering now that when Jesus had made a trip to the east side, that he cast out many demonic beings from this one man, actually these two men that were demon possessed. And he sent those demonic beings into the swine. So that tells us it was a Gentile area because Jews don't raise hogs. And they rushed headlong into the sea and they were destroyed. This man wanted to come with Jesus, but Jesus said, no, you can't travel with us. Go home and tell your friends. Listen to this. Hang on just a minute. This will bless your heart, possibly. It will if you'll grasp it. He went home and he told his friends that lived in Decapolis. Jesus then goes back to Decapolis and these 4,000 men plus wives plus children are gathered together unto him. How do you think these 4,000 plus heard about Jesus. It may be, I'm just speculating here, but it's a good preaching speculation, that this, this big group heard about Jesus from this one man whose life was forever changed. Anyways, he fed 
4,000 plus, and he fed them with ample amount, just like he did the 5,000, because listen, he is sufficient for the Jews as well as for the Gentiles. And the disciples went home the first time he did that with 12 baskets, 12 to-go boxes, one per disciple. This time they carried home seven very large to-go baskets or to-go boxes and indicating again that he was more than sufficient. I'm saying all that just simply to say this, the whole section is about bread or about food or about a crumb, but he fed them more than a crumb. He gave them as much as they wanted to eat. And then he says to his disciples, Disciples, now you beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. You beware of the leaven. And all that stuck in their brain was leaven. Twelve hungry young men, really, probably in their 20s, maybe 30s, college age. Come on, I'm just thinking those 12 men would be hungry. And they would think, oh, man, I forgot to pack lunch. James, John, Peter, it's your fault. Come on, Judas, you got the bag. You should have paid for that. You should have brought the meal. That's all they were thinking about. But Jesus' mind was on something else. You know, I found that to be true. Oftentimes, Jesus' mind is on something other than what our minds are on. Long about, if I keep preaching here for another 30, well, 28 minutes, it's going to be about noon. And, and your mind, I mean, as engaged as it is right now, your mind will suddenly shift come noon to, I wonder where we're going to eat for lunch. That's how we are. Isn't that right? I mean, we think that way. Jesus was thinking, though, about the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Now, we really need to understand who are these two groups. And I realize the vast majority of people here, because you've been in church a good while, you've heard for sure about the Pharisees and how straight-laced they were and how legalistic, truly legalistic they were. Legalism means that you believe you have to do good works in order to be right with God, which really, no man can do enough good works to be right with God. You can't do enough good works to be right with God. But the Pharisees thought because they were Jews, number one, and because they kept the law, number two, they thought they were okay with God. They thought they were right with God. Jesus said this, except your, your righteousness exceed the, the, the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you should not see the kingdom of God. In other words, he's saying it's not your good works that'll make you right with God. It's only by this, by repentance and placing faith in his finished work that leads to the new birth. The Pharisees, though, the Pharisees, they had control. I want, I want, you, to, I want you to really tune in here to, to what's going on as we come into this chapter. The Pharisees held positions of power and prominence among the people that they did not want to lose. They didn't want to lose that position of power and prestige. In fact, it's ultimately going to lead to the reason why Jesus was crucified because they were envious and they felt like they were losing their control over the people. The Sadducees. The Sadducees were, uh, whereas the, the Pharisees were a very ultra-conservative group, the Sadducees were liberal theologians of the day. How do you know that? Well, Acts chapter 20. Uh, Acts chapter number uh, 23, Paul says that he believed in the resurrection. Well, the Pharisees believed in the resurrection, but the Sadducees did not. They were sad, you see. <laughs> totally cheesy. I get it. That's a good way to remember that. <laughs> that was bad, wasn't it, Brother Ted? Yeah. 
They did not believe in the supernatural. They didn't believe in many aspects of the supernatural. The Bible says they didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in the angels. They didn't believe in the spiritual side of this. But the Pharisees confessed both. So you've got, you've got two religious groups, one very conservative, one more liberal. In many ways, they're both conservative, but at many times, this one certainly is more liberal. But they joined forces to come against Jesus. Now, here's the, another deal about the Sadducees that you may or may not know. The Sadducees were linked in with the Herodians. The Sadducees were a priestly group. They were an elite group. They were a wealthy group. Uh, they were living very comfortable lives, largely because they had linked arms with Rome. The Pharisees were absolutely opposed to the Romans, but the Sadducees had learned a way to kind of live a comfortable life by linking in with them. So it's almost like you have the Republicans and the Democrats coming together right here to get against Jesus. That's really what you have. I mean, if you can think about it that way, that's how opposed these two groups typically were is that they had nothing to do with one another until they had a common enemy. The Pharisees didn't want to lose control of the people. The Sadducees didn't want to lose their way of life or their control in Israel by, by their siding with Rome. They didn't want to lose that. Listen to this. Jesus threatened both of their ways of life. They were in danger of losing control. They did not want to acknowledge who Jesus was because if they acknowledged who he was, that would be acknowledging that he has the right to rule and they did not. Well, you, you've got to get that or, or it will be past noon before we, uh, we get out of here, okay? They didn't want to lose control. They didn't want to relinquish their rule over the people. And so that's why they were so opposed to him, even though it's very, very clear if they read their Bible that he was indeed who he said he was. He was indeed the Messiah. I just came in my Bible reading even this morning. Isaiah chapter 35 talks about the works of the Messiah and how the, the, the lame would walk and the blind would see and, and all these other miracles. Listen, they were seeing it with their own very eyes. And yet they said, show us a sign. Show us a sign. Show us something spectacular. Come on, Jesus. Cause fire to come down from heaven. Then we'll believe. Do something awesome. Do something, do something extravagant. Come on, what do you got? You hear them taunting him? You hear them, you hear them, basically it's not, listen, don't, don't think for a second that they were earnest in this or that they were genuine in this. Like, you know, if you would just show us one more Jesus, then we'd be convinced. No, they were trying to put him in a spot where they could discredit him. I said they were trying to put him in a spot where they could then discredit him and then point their finger at, at him and say to all the people, see, I told you he's not the Messiah. I told you he's not really a religious leader. Everybody listen to this, you gotta get this now. I told you he's not who he said he was because, and, and thus you need to keep listening to us. Hey, they didn't want to believe. They didn't want to believe. And thus their hearts were hard. Because believing would cost them Way too much. 
They sought the gratification. One man said it this way. They sought the gratification of signs without the obligation of obeying God. Jesus had already dealt with this in Matthew chapter 12. That's the reason I had you to, to go back there. And, and even for the sake of time, you're not going to believe how much time we're saving just having already read that. You say, show me, and then I'll believe, right? <laughs> okay, fair enough. They had this intellectual doubt. They, they had this doubt about Jesus, but underneath that was really a heart that didn't want the answer. I said they, they posed themselves as though they had this doubt about him, but underneath that facade of doubt was really a heart that didn't want the answer. And, and thus, rejecting God's revelation sent them deeper into spiritual darkness. I said, I said that rejecting what God was saying to them was sending them deeper into darkness and endangering them of the judgment that was to come. I mean, Jesus had already dealt with them about this. I'm not going to show you another sign. I'm not going to show you a sign except the sign of Jonas the prophet. Jonah the prophet. In, in other words, what he's saying is, a, as a, as, I'm sorry, as Jonah was in the heart of the, or in the bellies. Thank you. In the, <laughs> thank you, Brother Ambrose. I sure appreciate you helping me out here today. As he was in the belly of the well for three days and three nights, that's how long the Son of Man is going to be in the heart of the earth. Listen, by the way, God gave them tangible evidence as to why they should follow him. We do not follow someone who has subjective truth that says, listen, if you'll read this, then God will show you that it's real. That is the way of cults. That is the way of false religions. Jesus did not say, read this and God will show you that it's true. No, he said this. He said, read your Old Testament, read the Bible, and see that I'm going to die and I'm going to be buried. And if I don't come back from the dead, then listen, you don't believe one word that I said. But if I come back from the dead, you better believe all of it. He gave us objective, verifiable truth that they could see with their own eyes, hear with their own ears, touch with their own hands. And yet the Pharisees are saying, we won't believe you. We won't believe you. You know why today? They didn't, want to, they didn't believe him. It's because they did not want to believe him. Because if they believed him, then they'd have to bow the knee to him and they'd have to get under his authority and under his rule in their life. And I'm just speculating here today that there might be somebody right here. There might even be somebody right here that would say, you know, I would believe, but, but I want to see more evidence. Listen, you don't need more evidence. Here's, here's the real heart of it. You don't want to believe. Because if you did believe, that would change your life. And you're not ready to let your life be changed. Jesus said, you hypocrites, you can look out there towards the western sky and, and you see that, the, that, that it's a red sky at night and that means, you know, uh, red sky at night, sailors delight. Red sky in the morning, sailors take warning. I didn't make that up, that's what they would say. Been passed down from generation to generation before they had the chief meteorologist, David Payne, and before Valenay and Castro started traveling around all over Oklahoma. They... <laughs> 
They had, they had the sky to look at, and they could see red sky at night. Sailor's delight. In other words, it's a high-pressure system that's already moved through. Oh, my soul, we're going to have a good day tomorrow. But they could look at that red sky in the morning and say, oh, man, you better take an umbrella. Or, you, oh, man, you better be, you better be uh, weather aware. You better find a place where you can get low, friend. Listen, if you live long enough in Oklahoma, you're going to understand some of the terminology that I'm using right here. And we take, we take storm warnings real seriously if you're thinking right. Now, there's still some men that'll go up on top of buildings to watch the tornado come through. But anyways, I'm just simply saying we take, we take warnings real seriously here. And here's what he's saying. Listen, here you are. You've got that much evidence and you're taking this much action. But here I've come and I've raised the dead and I've healed the blind and I've healed the lame and I've made the deaf to hear. You've got this much evidence and you're taking no action. No action. Do you follow that? They were acting on something they didn't know for sure if that's how it was going to be or not. Here they were. They couldn't discern the signs of the times. What was the signs of the times? Messiah has come. Messiah has come. Messiah has come. Every person he healed, every word he spoke, everything he did, every disciple that he called was saying Messiah has come. And they missed it because they did not want to see it because they had their own groupies. They had their own friends. They had their own followings. And, and to submit to him would mean they'd lose what they had. Is this making sense or do I need to start over here this morning? Are we, are, I mean, we're, we're, are we doing okay? You're not thinking about lunch yet, are you? The disciples sure were. He said a wicked and an adulterous generation seeks after a sign. He said wicked because they're wicked in one relationship with one another. And they're an adulterous generation because here they are claiming to be the people of God. And yet they're being unfaithful to God. Adultery is unfaithfulness. He, and he wasn't just talking about physical adultery. He's talking about spiritual adultery. Here they claim to be the people of God. And yet they weren't being faithful to God. Because they didn't want his rule in their life. Here's what will happen. Oh, mercy. There's so much right here. Here's, here's what will happen. If, if you let your heart get hard against the revelation of God, you'll go deeper and deeper into sin. I said, if you let your heart get, get hard to the revelation of God, what he's showing you, 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 and you're in your unbelief. Okay, let, let's just deal with those that are not saved yet. You can get further and further and deeper and deeper in, into sin, and, and you're going to be further and further away from what you, who you really need. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to exhort you here this morning with every bit of fiber that's within me and everything that's in the Word of God, most importantly, that you this day would trust him to be your Savior. Don't you sit there this morning and say, oh, I know I'm a sinner and I know he died for me, but I'm gonna, I'll be saved another day, preacher. Oh, your heart gets harder. You go further into darkness. You get deeper into sin. No, today is the day of salvation. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. If God is showing you this morning that you need to be saved, you don't need him to put it up in the sky. You don't need another sign. You don't need a wonder. Here's what you need. You need to know that he died on that old rugged cross for you, according to the scriptures, that he was buried in that grave for three days and three nights, according to the scriptures. And praise God this morning that he rose 
rose again from the grave according to the scriptures and that he's coming again and you can be saved here this morning. Would you listen to me? Would you listen carefully? Would you not tune me out today? Would you not say, I'll do it another day? Or I don't think it's real. I'm an atheist. No, you're not really an atheist. You just don't want God in your life. Because if you acknowledge that there's a God, then you're, you're in a heap of trouble. I'm saying if, you, if there is a God, you're in a heap of trouble. In fact, I'll be very honest with you. You don't even realize just how much trouble you're really in. But there is a way of escape. There is a way of salvation. There's only one way, and it's through the Lord Jesus Christ. Be sad if you could live here in Oklahoma and know how to discern the face of the sky and listen to a weather report and stay close to a shelter and yet you hear the gospel and you do nothing about it. And so Jesus then said this to his disciples, let's go. Hang on, wait a minute now. Wait a minute, you you need to get that. He said, let's move on because they're not receiving it. It could be there comes a day when he knocks his last knock on your heart. Where he's been knocking and knocking and knocking and trying to get you to submit to him by way of salvation. And yet, if you keep rejecting him, there come, come a time, of course, when you die, if you're, you say, maybe I've already crossed that. No, wait a minute. You're still here today and you're breathing air in your nostrils. That means you've got opportunity to be saved today. That's what that means. But if you die without him, there's no more opportunity. And what I'm saying to you is you don't know. You could go out here today and you could have a fatal car accident on the roads of Oklahoma and you could go into eternity forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And if you die without Jesus, you spend forever without Him. That's right. You see, it wasn't the ultra-conservatism of the scribes and Pharisees. That was their real problem. That was just a symptom to their problem. It wasn't the loose liberal theology of the Sadducees that was their main problem. At the heart of both of those extremes is this, unbelief in God. A lack of trust in God. A lack of repentance toward God. It's at the heart of both. So then Jesus said this, disciples, you need to be aware of this. You say, no, wait a minute. Okay, hang on, wait. That just took a weird turn. And I'm not sure you've got time to explain it. Oh, yeah, we got time. <laughs> they weren't in danger of losing their salvation. They couldn't. But Jesus said out loud to them, now you need to be aware of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You need, Lord help me right here to get this across because I, I think this is so important for all of us. You, you need to be aware. You need to be cautious. You need to be careful because even as my disciple, Jesus says to all of us, including of course myself in this consideration, it's a danger for everyone who names the name of Christ that we could have the same hard-heartedness towards the one who's revealing things to us through his word. Did he say it to his disciples? What did he say to his disciples? He said to them, beware of the leaven. You know what leaven is? You like deep crust pizza? 
You like, uh, or even regular crust pizza? Huh? Speaking your language now? You like, uh, you like going to the restaurant and they bring out the rolls? You like going there and they don't bring out the unleavened bread? Uh-huh. You like something more fluffy than crackers? You like going to Lambert's and catching a roll across the whole restaurant? It's filled with yeast. It's, it's been, there's been yeast there. There's, there's leaven there that makes it rise. Now, in the Bible, that can have either a positive connotation because Jesus says that his kingdom is like yeast that a woman took and hid. You don't see it, but it's growing. And it's growing. Oh, I remember, I can see it right now in my grandmother's house as she'd take those rolls, those homemade rolls that she'd made it that morning. She'd take it over to the wall unit. You know, those, remember those old fashioned wall units where it had the, the heating element inside? Am I dating myself? Anybody else remember that? She'd set it over there because that heat would cause it to start rising. Then she'd have a little bit of a head start and put it in the oven so it'd rise the rest of the way. Oh, that's good stuff now. Okay, so there can be a positive connotation to this or meaning or application of this. But in this context, it's obviously negative because he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees. Beware of that because remember, they don't want to believe because they lose control. And thus they're hard-hearted, even though I've shown them and I've shown them and I've talked to them and I've spoke to them. They don't want to hear. And if you're not careful, that same little bit of leaven could get into your heart and unseen to the human eye, you could be sitting there today in the pew and your heart's getting harder and harder and harder. How does that happen to a believer? Like the Pharisees and Sadducees, we think God ought to operate on our terms. Show us a sign and we'll believe. God, do this in my life and I'll trust you. How about you trust him and then see what he does? I don't like how he handled that. I'm going to keep going to church because it's easier for me. I'm going to sit through services because I don't want people calling me. But I'm, I'm not going down to that altar and saying, God, you're right. The way I've been living is wrong. My lust is wrong. My anger is wrong. My bitterness is wrong. My hatred is wrong. Dear God, my resentment is wrong. Dear God, my, my choices of entertainment have been wrong. The way I handle that situation with my spouse is not right. The way I'm responding to my parents is not right. The, are, are we doing all right? We, we don't want to do that because if we do that, we're acknowledging he's right and we're wrong and we lose control. I said, if we acknowledge all of that and more, then we're saying, you're right, I'm wrong, and I lose control. That's what you need to do today. <laughs> you need to lose control. You don't, you don't deserve the right. You don't have the right to be in control of your life. You don't have the right to be the one that would determine who, who you are and what you ought to be doing in life. No, he and he alone. We just heard it in Sunday school. I had the privilege to sit in on the Heartland Singles class and Brother, Brother Andrew is working through, Brother Albert is working through the book of Revelation and he, and he talked about the, the first begotten of the dead, the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega, the one who's a dead, who was dead but is alive forevermore. We're talking about the Lord, Jesus Christ, he and he alone has the right to rule our lives. Amen. 
But you can sit there and say, I've heard all this before and I'm hearing it again, but I don't want to listen to it. Because you know in your heart of hearts that if you listen to it and you believe it's right and you say, God, you're right, I'm wrong, I'm sorry for the way that, I, I'm sorry for the way that I've not been attending on, on Wednesday nights and on Sunday nights, I'm just kind of hit and miss. And God, I'm sorry for the way that I haven't been tithing, God, you know. Because here's what happens. When a little bit of unbelief and a little bit of rebellion gets into your heart, it'll show up in all kinds of other areas. It'll show up in your giving. It'll show up in your church attendance. It'll show up in your attitude. It'll show up in your relationship with others. It'll lead to wickedness and adultery. Talk, I'm talking about spiritual adultery against God. You will be unfaithful to the God that you claim to serve. Because just a little bit of leaven will leaven the whole lump. And he says, you better beware of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And I'm saying to you today, you better be careful about the people that you're around because you get around somebody that's angry or bitter or upset or doubting God and not doing what God wants them to do. And you get around them and it can rub off on you and that leaven just leavens you. Just because you have parents that are hard-hearted towards God doesn't mean you ought to be hard-hearted towards God. Or just because you knew a preacher that got hard-hearted or you knew a preacher that got cynical and you knew a preacher that stopped believing and you knew a preacher that committed adultery physically and spiritually. You knew a preacher that did this and a preacher that did that. That does not mean today that you ought to be the one that ought to be hard-hearted there as well. How about today you just say, God, you know, you're so right. I've been so wrong. Would you please forgive me because I've been an idiot. You say, I don't think you ought to say idiot. In, in a Sunday morning service, you ought to save that for Sunday night. <laughs> well, what does the word idiot mean? Idiot is actually a Greek term that's used in the Bible. One's own, idios. One's own, you're acting like you own yourself. You're, you're acting like you can call your own shots. You're acting like you can determine how you ought to live. You're acting like an idios. Okay, I'll use the Greek term then if the English is too offensive. You're acting like an idios. I am not. What more does God have to do to earn your trust? What more does God have to say for you to say, I believe he's right? Friend, listen, he has said to us what he's going to say to us. And if you look at the evidence, both in the word as well as in the lives that are affected by the word, you'd be like a fool who's saying, I don't think it's going to rain today. And he's standing out there getting drenched. <laughs> Doubt it's going to, David Payne. <laughs> like it's going to rain today out there in the rain just pelting you. <laughs> That's, that, that's yeah. ludicrousy. Yeah. Right. It's ludicrousy. Yeah. It's ridiculous. I don't think, I'm yelling because the wind is so strong, I don't think there's going to be a tornado today to your house. <laughs> Validate your seeing things. <laughs> it's idiocy. You're acting like an idiot to say, I know what the warning is. But I'm not taking heed to it. It's ridiculous. Or even on the positive side of this, you know, he said, you see the, the sky and the, the sun in the sky, the red in the sky at the end of the day, then you know it's going to be a good day tomorrow. There are blessings to be enjoyed. Yes. 
I said, there are blessings to be enjoyed. There, there, I mean, just singing a moment ago about how that pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Oh my word, did you realize what you're saying? He's forgiven us of all of our sin. You talk about bright, sunny day. Even when it's an overcast outside, we can rejoice and be glad because he saved us. But you'll totally miss that if you're all hard-hearted and in unbelief. Beware. Just a little bit of unbelief or disappointment with God can get in and spoil or corrupt your whole life. Don't miss the lesson of 11. Get it? We ought to submit to him just because of who he is and what he said. Because if you let just a little bit of hard-heartedness get into your life, here's what will happen, and I'm done. If you let a little bit of hard-heartedness get into your heart, it'll take over your whole life. I've got two minutes. I actually, I know nobody's time conscious here. I'm just, I'm just simply saying, I'm just messing around about the time thing because I know most of you would say, man, preach to one if you need to. And I would if I felt like it would convince somebody that, that they should be under God's rule. But you're in a dangerous spot. If you said, if you preach till two, I still wouldn't. I'm telling you, you're in a dangerous spot right there. But how about I just say it for one more minute. If you let just a little bit of hard-heartedness get in your heart, it will eventually take over your whole life. It'll permeate your life. It'll invade every corner of your life. Just a little bit. God help us here this morning. We're blessed to so often hear the word. I'm preaching to people that often hear preaching. And like James said, we are in even greater danger of condemnation because we hear the word so often and we can deceive ourselves in thinking because we've heard your word that we're somehow better for it, and we are in the sense that we get to hear your word. But God, if we only, if we're a hearer only and not a doer, then we're deceiving ourselves. And so God, I pray that you'd help us, Lord, as we're in a dangerous spot right here, that we too could resist your rule and try to go on in life. Dear God, help, I pray. Lord, help us to have bended knee. Lord, would you help those that you're speaking to today to have the humility and the honesty to respond as you've spoke to them. In Jesus' name, amen.